Well, welcome you to Good Friday uh, service here at uh, Grace Lutheran. Um, I remember a number of years ago, I, um, I did a sermon once where the, the hymn, the song ended, and I, I was sitting over there, and I just sat there, and just sat there, and I counted off two minutes, and there was no noise. It was completely silent. And my, my reason for doing that is what people began to immediately think was, who screwed up, right? What's, what's gone wrong? And uh, because we live in lives filled with noise, filled with constant voices and noise, and this is an unusual service. This is rare for us. Normally, we, we create a mood with music, and we want to make it warm and welcoming and inviting, and this is just a, such a completely, completely unique worship experience. It's, it's not what we do. Um, worship is often skittles, rainbows, and unicorns. And we want to be happy. Um, this is a tough one. This is a hard one. Um, well, for that reason, the somber nature of it, I'll, I'll just make a gentle reminder, cell phones and notifications and things like that, as quiet as we can make it, if you could check that, and we'd value that. Um, but it is a service of increasing darkness. Um, I, uh, I actually had the opportunity, I was on BYU-Idaho today. I was on the radio broadcast because they had called me and asked me what Easter meant for us. And I was really curious if they would let, brought, let play, because I recorded it yesterday, what I said. Because what I said was, Easter has two sides. Easter is complete when we have worshipped on Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, we see the cost. On Easter, we celebrate the victory. Um, and that victory is Christ's life gives us life, not for what we've earned, not for what we deserve. So today, we see the cost. There's a fascinating um, story in the Old Testament that prefigures this. It's printed for you in your worship folder from Numbers chapter 21. And it ties into the theme that we have chosen as a church and school this year. And Jesus quotes it when one of the Jewish leaders comes to him wondering, are you who we think you might be? And so in Numbers, the people are complaining and grumbling. And so they were God-sent uh, venomous snakes to bite them, to punish the people of Israel, because they complained and complained and grumbled constantly. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, here's how we're going to solve that. He said, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. They had to look up to the curse. The serpent was the cursed. And you'll discover tonight, we look up again to the one who was cursed for us. Jesus says it this way to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So our prayer tonight is that we can look up to the cross and see the greatest love the world has ever known.
Seven messianic prophecies and fulfillments as a lamb led to slaughter. Prophecy. In studying the life of Christ, there is personal value in seeing the connection between the Old and New Testaments. There are over 300 prophecies in the hundreds of years before Christ was born. On this Good Friday, we shall limit ourselves to seven prophecies, even as there are seven times which Christ spoke from the cross. Notice how completely and perfectly these prophecies were fulfilled by our Savior in the Passion account. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 tells us of Christ. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7-9. Fulfillment. Among those who saw Jesus suffering on Good Friday was the Apostle Peter. He relates what he saw Jesus do on Good Friday in his first letter. He writes, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter chapter 2, 22-25 The price of betrayal and the potter's field. Prophecy. What value do we place upon the things of this life? How valuable are our possessions, our home, our friendships, how deep is the wound then that is the betrayal of the incarnate God, Jesus Christ? A prophecy concerning the betrayal of Jesus, it reads, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. The fulfillment. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned... He was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. 
The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the thirty silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Matthew chapter 27, verses 2 through 10. Gambling under the cross. Prophecy. What is the appropriate behavior at the foot of the cross? We would certainly find rolling dice or placing bets a strange activity indeed, even within the walls of our sanctuary. Yet as Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth, his executioners engage in what we now call gaming. In Psalm 22:18, we read of a prophecy in whose fulfillment neither Jesus nor his disciples could have any control. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And here is how this prophecy was fulfilled. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Now this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. John chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. The mocking of the crowds. Prophecy. Isn't it odd how human beings can descend so quickly into insults and condescension? It seems far too easy to join with others in causing deep hurt with our language and thoughtless remarks. In Psalm 22, the mocking of the crowds around the cross is described as we read, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Psalm 22, 7 and 8. And in Isaiah 53, we read, Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Now hear the fulfillment of these words in the gospel according to Matthew. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Matthew chapter 27, verses 42 and 43. Christ's body and death. Prophecy. In reference to Christ's body after his death, there are two unusual prophecies listed in Psalm 34, verse 20, and in Zechariah 12, verse 10, which read, He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. 
And I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one who they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And Isaiah notes, he was pierced for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And again from Psalm 22, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. And now note the exact fulfillment in the passion narrative. John writes, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified beside Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. John chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. The burial in a rich man's grave, prophecy. One of the oddest prophecies had to do with the burial of Jesus. He was executed by crucifixion. The burials of crucified men amounted to little more than throwing the corpses down the refuse heap, like so many dead animals. Yet, one of the prophecies which refer to Christ's death added the significant reference to his unusual burial. Isaiah prophesies, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Isaiah 53, verse 9. And now bear witness to the fulfillment of this prophecy. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a large stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and went away. Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 to 60. The purpose of redemption, prophecy. 
The last of the Old Testament prophets was John the Baptist. It was he who the angel declared would point out Christ the Messiah to the world. One day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Fulfillment. John, the gospel writer and evangelist, disciple of Jesus, lived to be almost 100 years old. He said this of Jesus Christ many years after his death. Note that his words are almost a literal fulfillment of John the Baptist's prophecy. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. All the prophecies of the Old Testament and their fulfillment in the New Testament center around Christ. With his death, prophecy, and fulfillment are completed, particularly those surrounding the work of salvation. He is indeed the light of the world, and with his death, the world again was plunged into darkness. And so what happened to Christ on the cross? Oh, I know. He was mocked and judged, deserted by his disciples, utterly alone, beaten, whipped. And yes, Jesus even died on that cross. But how do we understand those words of Scripture that speak of the Messiah being rejected by God, of him becoming a curse, even cursed by God? What does it mean to be forsaken by God, to actually become sin? In the cross, I realize that I do not have an antiseptic, sterile, distant God. I have a God who knew that to forgive sins, the full penalty of those sins would have to be paid. What happened to Christ on the cross? With the full weight of my sins, of our sins, each cruel word, each selfish act, each lustful thought, each harsh deed, with the full weight of the sins of every human being of the world weighing upon him, Jesus could no longer be in union with God. For the wages of sin is death, eternal death, condemnation. What happened to Christ on the cross? He was... He was damned, consigned to bear the full portion of hell for what, what I alone had earned. This is the full extent of his love. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so Christ descended into hell not as triumphant victor on a white steed slaying and slashing all the demons of hell along the way. 
in his condemnation, his damnation, for no sin of his own doing, Jesus Christ went willingly, chained, bloody, seemingly beaten into the very bowels of hell. Oh, Satan. Satan was gloating, for he had beaten God. The prophecy that was given millennia ago in the Garden of Eden, God said that he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. This was now turned upside down. And as the gates of hell slam shut with the Messiah, the Christ, inside the darkness of sin and evil covered all the earth. Our despair is complete. All hope is lost. But thanks be to God, the story does not end there. For the price has now been paid. The great paradox is achieved. For he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in him, we might have the righteousness of God. And then, then the eyes of Satan are opened, filled now with anguish and terror because of humility, because of the shedding of blood, because of the greatness of His love and His mercy for His creation, for you and for me, the price of sin is paid the walls of hell are burst. The gates are flung open from the inside. Christ is no tragic victim, but triumphant victor in whose victory we now share. And we fall on our knees in gratitude and thanksgiving, crying out, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last.
And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.